Welcome to Global Health and Childhood Cancer. I'm your host, Mark Zobeck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Okay, today I have a really, uh, what I would call a fun episode. It so happens that the things that I get excited about and call fun, not everybody agrees with, but that you're listening to this podcast, I think you will enjoy it as well. But I have certain biases, and discussing big picture epidemiologic or health systems data is one of my loves. So I have the opportunity to do that today. So today we will be speaking with Nikhil Bakta, who you've heard from before back in episode 14 where we discussed pediatric oncology prioritization in health systems. But just to refresh your memory, Nikhil is a pediatric hematologist-oncologist and faculty at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, and he serves as the director of the Sub-Saharan Africa region with St. Jude Global. And he wears a variety of other hats, including working in the departments of epidemiology and cancer control. We will also be hearing from Lisa Force, Lisa is the interim cancer team lead at the Global Burden of Disease Study, and she is also a pediatric hematology oncology fellow at St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. So together, we are going to discuss a paper they just published about estimating the burden of disease of global pediatric oncology. And they take a different perspective than what you normally think of. They use what are called DALIs, which are disability-adjusted life years. And we will get into more what that means, what are the implications of using DALIs to estimate disease burdens and their significance in the show. All that to say, I find this to be both a super important topic and a super fascinating topic. So I won't say much more than that. You can hear for yourself in the episode. So without further ado, I give you Dr. Lisa Force and Dr. Nick Hilbachta. Hey, everybody. Well, I'm back here on the podcast with. Nikhil Bakta, and we are joined this time by Lisa Force. And so I will let them introduce themselves. Lisa, why don't you go ahead and tell us who are you and how did you get involved in this project? And then Nikhil, you can remind us who you are afterwards. Sure. First off, thanks for having me, Mark. I really appreciate it. It's an honor to be here. I'm currently a Global Pediatric Hematology Oncology Fellow at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and the interim cancer team lead at the Global Burden of Disease Study. I've had many people question why they should care about global pediatric oncology when there are so many other diseases that we should be caring about or when adult cancers are so much more common than childhood cancers. I think we know as pediatric oncologists that the majority of children with cancer are curable in high-income countries um, and that there are quite effective regimens that can be safely implemented in low- and middle-income countries and that children with cancer, if cured, have many years of life that they can contribute to productive things for society. But in other words, there seemed to be a need to quantitatively demonstrate that the global burden of childhood cancer is substantial and that it should really be part of discussions on global oncology and global pediatric health. And so I began collaborating with the Global Burden of Disease Study with Dr. Bakta uh, to try to essentially emphasize this burden, um, as well as some of the current limitations and ways that we could improve the framework uh, in the GBD study for childhood cancers. Excellent. Yeah, well, framing it that way that you wanted to demonstrate what kind of priority the global community should put on childhood cancer, I think you demonstrated that pretty well with this study. So I think that's a good way to frame it. And we'll uh, clarify what that means as we get into it a little more. But Nikhil, go ahead and remind us where are you and what are you up to? Hey, so uh, yeah, my name is Nikhil Bhaktam, a pediatric hematologist oncologist at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. I'm an assistant member in the Department of Global Pediatric Medicine, and also I run our disease burden and simulation unit, which is our kind of epi core, as well as I am the director of our sub-Saharan African program. And yeah, it's great to be back again, and I'm really excited about the work that Lisa has done and um, this collaboration that we have with uh, Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation. Excellent. Okay, well, the title of the study that we will discuss today is The Global Burden of Childhood and Adolescent Cancer in 2017, an Analysis of the Global Burden of Disease Study, 2017. So, Lisa, why don't you go ahead and introduce the study? What is the background to it, and what was the uh, motivating question? Sure. So as a little background on the global burden of disease studies, since many people may not be 
familiar with that yet. It was actually started because the founders of the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, which um, is the organization that, that sort of runs the GBD study, they essentially noticed uh, several decades ago that it was sort of the Wild West, so to speak, of health metrics with various organizations reporting their own death estimates. So, for instance, you'd have a group that focused on HIV reporting the number of deaths from HIV, a group that focused on malaria reporting the number of deaths from malaria, and a group that focused on TB reporting the number of deaths from TB. But when you added up all of the deaths from each of these organizations, you got way more deaths than is possible based on the world's population. And so this is a problem because if you're a policymaker for a country, you can't save lives if you don't know what people are dying from, and you can't make people healthier if you don't know what ails them. So in, in order to help improve health outcomes for people in your country, you need health metrics that are comprehensive, meaning they're accounting for all relevant diseases and types of burden, and comparable, meaning equivalent estimates that you can directly compare the burden of HIV to malaria or TB in a meaningful way. So the GBD study was born, and it estimates burden for over 300 diseases and injuries, provides various levels of geographic estimates, including global, regional, national, and select subnational estimates, provides time trends, meaning it estimates burden from 1990 to present and each year in between. And one unique feature of the GBD study is that they recognize that models are never perfect, and each year they update their methods to better estimate the data. Um, and so with each GBD round, they re-estimate the entire time series, and each round's estimate supersedes the previous round's estimates. And there are many different teams in the GBD study, which focus on various disease groups, such as cardiovascular diseases, neglected tropical diseases, etc. And cancer is one of those many teams. And cancers are estimated across all ages, but there had never previously been an analysis of specifically childhood cancer burden globally. And it's important to note that not every country has a population-based cancer registry because these take considerable time, training, and financing to establish and run. And this can pose a challenge because what isn't measured and reported is less likely to be acknowledged as an issue that needs addressing. Using estimation frameworks like the GBD study, though, we can leverage the data that does exist in surrounding countries or years to estimate the burden of cancer in these data void areas. It, this is certainly not to detract from the importance of building cancer registries in these locations, because clearly an understanding of local cancer patterns from data is ideal, but rather acknowledging that this is going to take a lot of time and political buy-in from respective governments. And in the meantime, having estimates to inform policymakers is important so that cancer care can receive the funding and the policies that it needs. Got it. So the Global Burden of Disease Study is this large-scale study to try to compare the effects of different diseases in terms of morbidity and mortality across the world. You're saying that the study previously evaluated cancer, but it didn't specifically look at the pediatric population. So it just lumped them all in together, both pediatric and adult. Sort of. I should clarify that that all of the estimates, every metric that the GBD produces, they do produce by five-year age groups for every sex, gear, and location. but they had not specifically done a separate analysis looking at the childhood age groups to, to essentially describe the global burden due to childhood and adolescent cancers. They had previously done analyses of, of cancers across the age continuum. The actual reason we got involved in how this, at least this study came to Genesis, actually started kind of as a cold email. So I've been following the GBD for many years and saw that there are cancer estimation estimates. And while around the time that the Lancet Oncology Commission was getting started, I noticed two things. One, that the GBD initially wasn't part of the conversation, which seemed like an opportunity missed. And then two, with the GBD, I can't remember, 2013 or 2016, initial estimates that came out, as Lisa kind of alluded to, there, there were pediatric oncology pieces incorporated into it, but literally out of the 30 or 20 page manuscript, there were two sentences dedicated to childhood cancers. And when we looked at the data and you started to actually delve into the data from the website and from the from the microdata that is all freely available, it started to look as though there were potential opportunities for improvement in the estimation methodology. And so 
really, I, in around 2016, I think I reached out to um, what would, would ultimately become my close collaborator at GPD before Lisa, Tina Fitzmaurice, who wrote many of the initial cancer papers, as well as led the estimation team for many years. And we basically uh, agreed and felt like there needed to be more that was done. So we started by just generating an initial white paper together of, to what the issues were and the challenges, mm -hmm. and then started pitching that to our bosses. And one thing led to another. And this, again, like you said, was around, the, like I said earlier, was the time that the commission was starting up, around the time that the Global Initiative for Childhood Cancer was getting talked about. So there was the palpable interest, I think, that we needed to do more to insert ourselves into the global health lexicon, as well as into the global health prioritization schema. And to do that without partnering with our institute, with an organization such as IHME would have been um, a loss. And so I think everyone agreed that um, we brought a certain technical expertise and they brought an incredible wealth of estimation prowess, as well as connections within the larger global health arena that allowed us to really marry the, our two um, efforts together. And I should also highlight that Lisa then really then just made this all happen. She's been the cog in the wheel that has literally led this to become a real a study as well as um, the beginnings of what is going to be a, an iterative process of improvement. That's fantastic. Well, yeah, I'm glad you both noticed the gaps in the data in, from a global health perspective, and then also were able to bring your particular expertise to reframe global oncology, as you opened up with saying, Lisa. Well, let's get into the study a little bit more. When talking about disease burden estimation, you know, there are a lot of ways to approach it. You could say how many cases of leukemia are there in the world at a given time, or, you know, how many new cases are there within a given year, so prevalence and incidence. But the study takes a little bit of a different perspective in that it estimates the disability-adjusted life years or DALIs. So can you both walk us through, you know, how do you, when posed with the question, what is the burden of disease of childhood cancer across the world? How do you approach estimating that? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a big question. So first want to mention that clearly uh, incidents, so the number of cancer cases in a given population over a given time period, mortality, so the number of deaths of cancer in a given population over a given time period, and then survival are all very important metrics and ones that we've relied on historically in the oncology field um, and do each contribute their own aspect to framing childhood cancer burden. And so this paper, while we focused on a new sort of more novel metric we also want to emphasize that all these other metrics are important to putting together the entirety of understanding childhood cancer burden. What we chose to focus on in this paper is some valleys, which are disability-adjusted life years, and that's a sort of comprehensive metric that accounts for both mortality and morbidity of the disease and in a very important way allows for cross-disease and cross-geography comparison so that we can really contextualize childhood cancer burden compared to other diseases or compared to, to other countries. And we do report in the GBD framework, DALIs by year, location, meaning the country, age group, and sex. And so there are various ways that you can also compare this. Disability-adjusted life years technically are made up of two other metrics, which are years of life lost, or YLLs, which essentially mean, for instance, if a child dies at age five and the average life expectancy was 80, those are 75 years of life lost. So YLLs are one component of DALIs. And then the other component is years lived with disability, or YLDs which essentially provide an estimate of years lived in a less than ideal health condition. And I think the important thing to take away thing else about DALIs is it's essentially the healthy life years lost. And so it's a, a, a nice way to encapsulate the aspect of health that's, that's lost compared for one disease like childhood cancer compared to other diseases. I would just jump in as well, just to, to add one thing, which is many people may be familiar with qualies, and then they get confused as what's dollies, what's hallies, all these things. All of these adjusted life year metrics are similar, but what uh, GBD really does with dollies is they, they take into account a concept that with the disability weights or the disability adjusted life years, that regardless of location, regardless of, of cultural context, that there's some 
there's some equality in terms of the 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 loss this or the disability that exists, and so that allows for those comparisons that Lisa described. Got it. So just kind of trying to formulate how these different measures fit together. What I'm seeing, or the uh, the relationship I have in my mind, is that you've somehow added the estimated years of life lost. So if a child dies of cancer, the the difference between the age that they die and their life expectancy is I, what I understood you to say. So you add together the years of life lost with the years lived with disability. And then from that sum, uh, you have your DALI calculation. Is that the correct way to formulate it? That's correct. It's a nice synopsis. Essentially, the YLLs are, are your mortality component, and then your YLDs are your morbidity component that go into DALIs. Got it. And so one of the things that may be conceptually confusing for people, including myself, is how do you add these two different measures? So years of life lost would be a year, right? It's a dis- It would be a continuous variable, so to speak, of a time. And then years of life lived with disability, it seems like there are different ways to define you know, what is disability? So if you had leukemia and you were treated for three years and then you, or, you know, however long, and then you survived your disease and you went on to live a full, happy life and, you know, maybe you had some cognitive deficits or something, how do you quantify that and then add it to a year of life lost? Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, it's a great question. So essentially the easiest way to probably think about this is when you're thinking about YLLs or years of life lost. That's an entire year, if you think about it on a zero to one scale. One year of life. If you die, for instance, age five, then for the age five to six year window, that's one year of healthy life loss. So it's a, a relatively easy concept to get. But you're right, YLDs can be a little bit more confusing to think about. And essentially, what we do is we take the prevalence of a condition. So for instance, if you're you know, undergoing leukemia treatment for three years, the three years that you were being treated have a given disability weight, which is essentially a utility weight um, that we calculate using surveys. And essentially, what, what these surveys are asking individuals to do is compare randomly selected health states, indicating which person they regard as healthier. And ultimately, what happens is all this data goes into a, translating into a, a disability weight that is on a scale of zero, implying no loss of health, to one, implying loss health or health loss that's uh, equivalent to death. And so this disability weight is some proportion between zero and one that gets then multiplied by the prevalence of the condition. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you're asking a lot of people to estimate I guess, what is the quality of life of someone who's going through leukemia treatment or what what would their perceived quality be? Is that how you arrive at a, a utility? Essentially, yeah it's, a, yeah, it's a little more complex than that, but essentially it's having individuals identify the relative loss of healthy life um, for various conditions, including um, what ultimately go into our cancer disability weights. Sure. I got it. And so for, again, these are just questions now that are naturally arising to my mind for pediatric cancers. Do we ask kids to weight it or, you know, teenagers or is this, do these estimates derive from adults? Yeah, that's a great question. The best of my understanding, they derive from adults um, historically. Improving the disability weight specific to children is one area that we could potentially explore in the future. Right. But I get the sense that the value of this measure, this DALI, is not necessarily that it explains reality. You know, it completely explains what is the, in numerical format, what is the lived experience of a child or an adult with cancer. But what it allows you to do, as you said earlier, is to compare common conditions um, that otherwise would be very difficult to compare. So as long as the comparisons are the same, you know, people saying, well, this is what it would be like to live with HIV, or this is what it would be like to live with a, you know, a physical disability, or this is what it would be like to live with or going through cancer therapy, then you can at least have comparisons across conditions. Is that fair? Yes, that, that's a fair statement. Cool. Yeah, I I find these measures fascinating because it allows, I guess it allows us to 
take a different perspective on the problem, just like you opened up saying, Lisa, like you're trying to say, what is the total burden of all the things that go into experiencing or being diagnosed with cancer in a person? And then you are scaling that up to a population level, and then you are comparing that across different diseases. Essentially, what we're trying to do is give away for policymakers when they're comparing the various diseases in their population and trying to figure out, gosh, how do we allocate resources appropriately and, and, you know, and scale up resources for various conditions. Um, we're trying to give away where we can sort of encapsulate the burden of, a, of various diseases um, and be able to compare them. But you're right that there are certainly differences between every you know, single disease out there. That, that we would ideally capture in these. And, and so we are, I think, very aware. One of the things that I really appreciate about the GBD study um, is that we're always aware that there are ways to improve our models for each of these diseases to make them even more comparable over time. I would just, because I think, Mark, you kind of, you've actually kind of touched on what is a challenge for us as pediatric oncologists, which is thinking about health and health economic terms. Because the reality is, at least in the United States, we don't, although we deal with insurance companies all the time and are dealing with prior auth, we're not really thinking about the fact that we are making hard decisions about which child gets treatment and which one doesn't. And But in the reality of the rest of the world, that is the case. And a lot of times that decision is made in the, in the seat of government, in a ministry of finance, or to a secondary degree, a ministry of health. And so how do we start to insert pediatric cancer, not so much as to denigrate the importance of other diseases, but how do we at least insert this into the conversation that we challenge the two assumptions, I think, that really have been underlying this, which is one, there's just not enough burden because everybody looks at the incidents alone and then forgets and neglects the years of life lost and the potential economic productivity that these children could have back into society, which from a health economics perspective is what's looked at. And then the second is the cost, that it's too expensive. And so you can't really do the cost effectiveness without an outcome such as DALI's or QALY's to, to measure it again. So at the end of the day, what you end up with is a circular argument back and forth um, where if you don't put this data out there in these terms, which, which, let's be honest, make all of us kind of cringe a little bit in our heart as pediatric oncologists, but if you don't put this out there, we lose the, the fight about just actually getting this even on the agenda so that we can make our arguments even more forcefully. Yeah, again, that makes sense in terms of framing the study. The value of it is how do you prioritize a disease when it's rare, but it has a huge burden? And so this is a way to demonstrate how one might make decisions based on uh, what the disease is and what it's doing to a population. Yeah, and, and just bottom line, putting it into the language of the global health, the global health community, because um, when we talk about making decisions, and Lisa can talk to this in much more uh, detail, the use of DALIs, the use of IHME or GBD data is part of the lexicon for global health decision making, all the way from NGOs to the, to the WHO. And so not being able to frame childhood cancer in those terms, not having data to, that, even though it may have been in prior cancer estimates as two sentences, not having this data in a, in a meaningful way did kind of, does limit your ability to speak the language that more of the technocrats need rather than so much the, the physician. Right. So having these numbers allows us to communicate outside of, say, just the global oncology community or the global health community, but into a political realm and into an economic realm. I would actually posit it, it lets us talk into a global health community as opposed ah. to just the pediatric oncology community. And I mean, Lisa, I think, what, what do you think? I think that this, is the, this has been a major barrier for us is that you have almost a, a large, huge global health community and pediatric oncologists have been kind of sitting on the outside of it, talking to each other rather than talking outside into the larger community. Right. No, I would, I would certainly agree with that. I think that, you know, the three of us are all pediatric oncologists and we know that this is important uh, to discuss and that, you know, we've all seen children with cancer who need treatment in many of these settings. And, and I think that the challenge is that the global health community historically has seen or viewed childhood cancer as either not as important as other diseases or too complex to take on, almost similar to how HIV was framed um, decades ago. The global health community, I think, has, has had a historic focus on communicable diseases and has acknowledged the uh, substantial burden of these diseases. And we certainly don't want to 
not emphasize that those diseases are, are still quite important, but I think we're also aware that there in many countries is an epidemiologic transition happening between primarily communicable diseases to more non-communicable diseases, uh, including cancers. And as we get better at treating infectious diseases in children, the proportional burden of non-communicable diseases like cancers does rise. And so as a community, we also need to be able to consider childhood cancer within the framework of pediatric health globally in general and be able to say, really, where does that fit into the burden of diseases in childhood? Just to, to throw out another IHME kind of um, point out there. So like about last week, I think, in the New York Times, there was an article about almost everywhere fewer children are dying on the upshot. And there's this really cool map that starts in 2000 and goes all the way to like 2017. Mm-hmm. And it just shows the under five mortality that has been reduced all throughout the world. And that's partially because of basically communicable diseases. And so I think this highlights the point that we're living in a moment now of major transition. That's kind of almost blasé to talk about now. So ingrained in terms of that concept. But at the point being that as this transition now has hit, that's kind of a tipping point. I think, you know, rather than doing the route that TB and HIV followed, which was until it became so self-evident and a huge crisis, and then you throw a whole bunch of money at the, at the wall trying to figure it out, like, we need to start developing the models of care now so that we can actually start to, to make a headway and resolve this before, uh, resolve what the evidence-based approaches should be before we end up spending a ton more money. Yeah, that's fantastic. Global health is a field in flux, and it seems like this is a very good way to get a handle on how things are changing. So we've walked through what is a DALI and the methodology to estimating DALIs, and then we discussed what DALIs are used for in disease burden estimation as well as in priority setting. So we're almost uh, half an hour into the episode now and we haven't mentioned any results yet. So let's um, let's do the big reveal, so to speak, is uh, what results did you find mm-hmm. after going through and estimating the DALIs? Sure. So I think one of the important things that we were able to highlight was that while the absolute number of cases and deaths due to childhood cancer globally were relatively small. The burden when you represented in DALIs was really quite substantial at about 11.5 million, which as a number doesn't mean much on its own, right? But we were also able to show that compare that number to other diseases of childhood or to other to cancers in adults, that it is still quite a substantial number. So for instance, globally, if we compared the burden of childhood cancer as represented again in DALIs to other diseases of childhood, it ranks number nine um, underneath um, HIV AIDS, but above measles, for instance, or tuberculosis. And then if you think about childhood cancer compared to disease cancers in adults, that number 11.5 million DALIs ranks number six globally. So below breast cancer, but above cervical cancer, for instance. Representing childhood cancer burden in DALIs allowed us to do these comparisons that I think are important to people who consider global health and how childhood cancer can really fit within these frameworks. And so one thing that we were able to conclude was that really childhood cancer, while it's not always discussed in frameworks that address global oncology or address global child health, that it really should be. Definitely. So let me make sure that I understand these numbers that you just gave us in context. So the first you said was that by comparing DALIs, that childhood cancer ranked number nine among all the uh, evaluated diseases for kids. And so that rank is for anywhere in the world. Is that correct? Or did you break it down regionally? Correct. That was a global ranking. So number nine, childhood cancer ranked number nine globally compared to other diseases of childhood, excluding perinatal diseases and injuries. But when we actually broke it down by uh, essentially what the Global Burden of Disease Study refers to as the sociodemographic index or SDI, which is essentially a marker of development in a country, uh, or I shouldn't say a marker, it's correlated with the development of a country. And we looked at it by low, low middle, middle, high middle, or or high SDI ranking. We could compare the burden of childhood cancer to other diseases um, for each of those rankings. And so we were able to to essentially 
find that there appeared to be a sort of transition period between low and low middle SDI settings to to the the middle and high middle SDI settings. So essentially, as countries are undergoing this sort of epidemiologic transition where their communicable disease burden is going down and they are starting to be able to diagnose and start treating childhood cancers, it appears that the burden of these cancers is going up. Our study cannot actually necessarily identify why, but my guess would be that the diagnostics or the referral systems, for instance, are are getting better to the point that they're able to sort of capture and record these diagnoses more accurately. And then in the high SDI settings or the, you know, quote unquote, most sort of developed of of countries, the childhood cancer burden um, goes down in ranking a little bit more. And so my hypothesis would be that that's potentially because of improvements in supportive care and treatment regimens that, that allow the mortality of the disease to go down. Well, these are all hypotheses because we were not able to directly confirm this. I would I would add to that. Well, and I can let Lisa talk about where how it looks on the cancer side rather than the child health side because that we found interesting findings there. But I would just add that to the hypotheses that she put forward, this ties in with the previous work that we have done with and the work that I've done with in collaboration with Zach and Jennifer and Rafat at Harvard, whereby we looked at the diagnosed versus the undiagnosed or the patients who develop cancer versus the number of who actually are diagnosed with cancer. And we found that there's actually two times more children who are developing cancer than are actually reflected in the diagnosed statistics. And in that paper, we actually showed that um, our simulation model, when we looked at the diagnosed number, correlates quite nicely with the data from IHME and, and the Global Burden of Disease Study. So if you were to look at Lisa's data, as she just described it, where the where the majority of children that are that develop cancer that go undiagnosed live is in those low SDI settings, and so therefore, although the ranking is lower, that part probably reflects some of the case finding bias that we talked about in the last podcast in terms of the uh, the reasons why some of the incidence numbers may look lower, but in reality are just reflective of the reg- of the the lack of penetration of registration or the deficiencies of registration in settings where. Yeah, significant miss or missed diagnoses. And so when you take these numbers and you start to look at them and you actually then correlate them with the data from the simulation model we have, again, this is extrapolation, right? So take this from a grain of salt and it's not necessarily, it's not the data that is being produced in this paper. But if you take that and you take that 11.5 million and you basically are saying that the survival of children globally is 43% and you start to actually work with the numbers, all of a sudden, now the these rankings that we have, all of a sudden, childhood cancer moves into the top five of disease burden among the childhood diseases, and then ranks number two globally overall among the among cancer categories. So, this is actually a, the the point being that there's still a lot more work to be done even within GBD, but there's integrating these data to tell kind of a, a continuum of a story that is really important to to contextualize. Yeah, that makes sense. That the um the story that you're seeing, so there's this great table in the paper, I'll link to it on the website, but it's uh, figure six, where it shows how childhood cancer ranks according to other childhood diseases by um, SDI uh, ranking as, or SDI category, as Lisa said. And you can see that the ranking just rises as you go from low and low middle income, which is so low SDI was 15, low middle is nine in terms of the where it ranks with all the other potential diseases. And then in the middle and the high middle, it comes up to four and three. So what I hear you saying is that we think that that's more due to better surveillance, better identification of cases, and therefore it's being picked up in the global burden of disease study to be estimated, but that's not accounting for the ones that we aren't even seeing, aren't even acknowledging that they that they developed cancer and then subsequently passed away from it. And we know that those cases are happening and in great numbers because of these previous studies, the um, simulation studies that you mentioned. Yeah, I think that's a, a reasonable synopsis of the hypothesis. As Lisa says, it is a hypothesis, and I want to make sure that everybody realizes that a lot of this is integrating across studies and some extrapolation, but these are very reasonable conclusions to draw based off of the totality of data. Yep, 
That makes sense. And if you want to refresh yourself on these studies that we are mentioning, this was actually the topic of, I think it's episode 12 off the top of my head, where I talked to Jennifer Yeh and Zach Ward, who are at Harvard, and they did some simulation studies looking at projected incidents and prevalence of childhood cancer and survival of childhood cancer in a way that's different than just the normal looking at cancer registries way. So go check out episode 12 if you want to refresh yourself. Okay, so that was childhood cancer in terms of where it ranks with other childhood diseases. And then you mentioned that in the whole world, childhood cancer ranked number six in terms of DALI burden for all different types of cancers. So can you tell us a little bit about how that broke out? Sure. And so to be clear, what we did was take all childhood cancers, so ALL and kidney cancer and liver cancer and everything, and put them into one category, which is this 11.5 million DALIs that ranked six globally compared to other cancers. And these other cancers that we compared childhood cancers to were all cancers of adulthood. So in the study, we qualified that as uh, greater than or equal to 20 years of age up until the end of life. And so Each of these other cancers we ranked separately, such as lung cancer, liver cancer, stomach cancer. And that was a reasonable thing to do, we felt, because as many of you will know, childhood cancers are typically treated under one service and adult cancers may be treated under various different services. And so from a resource allocation standpoint, this is an, an interesting way to compare the burden of childhood cancer to other cancers that policymakers or hospital administrators would be thinking about. So when we compare childhood cancer to all these other adult cancers by SDI category, we did find that in the lowest and low middle SDI settings, childhood cancer actually ranked number one in terms of burden compared to any other cancer, including lung cancer, colorectal, breast, any of them. And then as the SDI categories rose up until high SDI, the burden or the ranking of childhood cancer decreased. So for the low and the low middle SDIs, you said it was number one. Is that primarily due to the years of life lost component of the DALI calculation? Since I guess kids would have a much greater amount of years of life lost compared to adults who tend to get cancers at older ages? Correct. Correct. And we did find that on a global scale as well. The vast majority of the DALI component was made up of YLLs or the years of life lost. Interesting. And the pattern in the, you know, with the breakout of SDI category by low and low middle, middle and high middle income. So the category of childhood cancer prioritization, it's higher on the lower end. Is that just, I guess, why does that diverge so much from the pattern that we saw with how childhood cancer ranks against other childhood diseases? Yeah, it's a good question. So I think there are not generally a lot of risk factors that we could intervene on, right? So there's not like screening programs or anything that we would be able to to utilize to sort of capture childhood cancer burden and address it early. Um, And it's not, as far as we know, um, a whole lot of lifestyle risk factors for childhood cancer, unlike in many adult cancers where there is an association with either behavioral or environmental risk factors. For childhood cancer, there's a strong correlation with population size, and many low and low middle SDI settings do have higher proportions of the population that are children. And so I think that part of this is due to likely the the population structure in some of the, the lower SDI settings. And I think that the important thing to recall is essentially what Nikhil was highlighting for comparing childhood cancers to other diseases of childhood. Cancer can be something that's a little bit hard to pick up um, if there aren't appropriate diagnostic criteria or people who aren't familiar with with cancer diagnosis. And if it's a, a relatively rare diagnosis like childhood cancers, that can be even harder. Whereas in the same setting, for instance, they're they're very much used to diagnosing meningitis or malaria or TB. And so those things will be thought of before childhood cancers. And so I think that part of the reason that this transition is being seen when comparing childhood cancers compared to other diseases of childhood is this this case-finding artifact, meaning there is an artificial, probably underdiagnosis or misdiagnosis of cancers of childhood. Whereas when you're comparing cancers in children to other cancers in adults, they're sort of on a more 
comparable level, so to speak, of diagnostics, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. One other thing from this table, this figure six that I'm looking at right now, is that compared to adults, childhood cancer has this really dramatic decrease in terms of the DALI ranking compared to adult cancers when you move from middle to high middle SDI ranking and then into high SDI ranking. So in high middle compared to other adult cancers, it's 10. And then high SDI ranking, it just falls off a cliff to 22, meaning that the DALI burden seems to both, well, would it be that the DALI burden from childhood cancer decreases when we get to high-income countries or that the burden from other cancers, adult cancers, increases, or is it a combination of the two? Why is that so divergent? Question and a good um, important thing to highlight, too. I can't specifically say which of the two make up what proportion of that, but I would hypothesize that, you know, because we are ranking, so everything is comparative or relative, that the other diseases of adult are increasing in burden um, if there is an association with lifestyle risk factors for some of them or exposures in the environment that come with development. And so comparatively, childhood cancer declines. And I think the other part of that is likely the population structure changes that in many low and low middle SDI settings that the population structure is more heavily weighted to children than in high SDI settings. I would just, I would add, actually, this is a really important finding that we had just because it was kind of like a eureka moment for us. If you look at in figure one in the paper, you'll actually see like the figure for adults and then you'll see children or children on top of the adults. And it's almost a little bit like they're mirror images of one another. And that was the first inkling that we got that um, I think Lisa has done a great job of describing that the risk factors are likely a contribution. The fact that children are being cured in high income countries. And we mentioned this in the discussion of the paper, and this is actually one of the major planned areas for improvement, which is that the way late effects are handled in the global burden of disease study currently for children who are diagnosed and subsequently cured of cancer is limited. And so that potentially also could play to a potential underestimate of the disease burden relative to others, um, just because we're not taking into account all of the long-term complications that we know that survivors experience. That's fascinating. So the last thing I want to cover just specifically in the paper as our time is coming to a close is this other super, super interesting figure. So figure four, it's kind of a complicated figure, but in essence, it gives a ranking by country for each of the individual diagnostic categories of childhood cancer that you looked at. And to me, this figure really makes clear why DALIs are a good way to try to help set priorities, because it gives you essentially a distribution of which cancers are responsible for the greatest burden of disease in a given country. Take, for example, Indonesia. If you look at the category of cancer, that you said causes the highest number of DALIs, it's leukemias. Leukemia is not otherwise specified. You broke out leukemias a few ways. So that was number one in terms of the DALIs caused. Number two was brain tumors. Um, and number three was acute lymphoblastic leukemia, so the more common leukemia that we think about in the United States. So a health system planner could look at these numbers and say, okay, if we have certain resources, where should we direct resources? Should we direct them to trying to improve the care of leukemias or of brain tumors. But then you have to think about how treatable these diseases are and what resources are available uh, to direct in those directions. So it's a little more complex than just looking at the numbers, but it gives you a spread of what is more common in a certain country. So then if you look down at the disease distribution in Mali, you see that so non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is actually the highest identifiable burden of disease in that country. And then leukemia is actually down at number seven. So then you have to ask yourself, you know, why is that? Is the different trend because we're not identifying leukemia cases? Or is it because for whatever reason, we have more non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and we should divert resources to trying to tackle that type of cancer? So something like that, where you can compare what is going on in your country and where may be the most amenable places to, to reroute resources. Is that a fair way to look at that? Or am I off somewhere? Yeah, no, I think that's a, a very reasonable way to look at it. And I think 
you are correct that it's not as simple as sort of just looking at the ranking. You have to sort of put it together with, with knowledge too. So for instance, in Mali is lymphoma being, non-Hodgkin lymphoma being so high comparatively, um, is that due to Burkitt, um, for instance, or, or is it due to the fact that we're missing diagnoses of leukemia in settings like Mali? And I think it could be both. And I do want to mention too that leukemia is separated out into three different categories here. So I think the ones that, that you were mentioning were specifically acute lymphoblastic leukemia for rankings. And oftentimes we think about, you know, in the US, for instance, leukemia as being the greatest burden and then brain cancers. But because we did separate out leukemia subtypes into ALL, AML, and then leukemia is not other, otherwise specified, so other leukemias essentially, that burden did get distributed amongst those three categories. And so um, if we put those all together, then that ranking would also look different compared to, for instance, brain cancer than, than having it separated out. Yeah, that's fair. I think that trying to compare across diagnoses, you have to be very careful. Both, you know, you, you, we heard the nuance with, well, maybe brain cancers just aren't as amenable to treatment. So you have to consider that. And then maybe the way you're classifying is different. So I think the cautionary tale there is you have to really understand the system that you are working in to understand how these relative rankings should be deployed. Definitely. Agreed. Okay. Well, we've talked a good bit about the methodology, about how to use DALIs and the proper framing for them. And then we talked about some of your major results, although I would encourage any of the listeners to go find the paper and read it for themselves because it's just a treasure trove of insights. We barely scratched the surface throughout the course of this discussion. But in the closing few minutes, what I want to hear from you, uh, Lisa and Nikhil, after putting hours, I'm sure hundreds, thousands of hours of blood, sweat, and tears into producing this paper, is how do you hope these insights are used going forward? Great question. So I think that this was only sort of the beginning of the work that we're hoping to do on childhood cancer burden within the GBD framework, but it is an important start. And I think the most salient points that we were able to highlight are that really childhood cancer burden is uh, not negligible. In fact, it's substantial um, and that it's substantial even when you compare it to other diseases of childhood and to adult cancers. And so really we do need to discuss childhood cancers in, in frameworks that address either global oncology or global pediatric health. And I think that to speaking to some of what of the future, you know, there's a lot that we can do. One um, piece, like I said, is really the survivorship component. How do we start to think about incorporating in the, the cost of cure into the, into the broader estimates? I think one other thing to note, Mark, is beyond the fact that this burden of childhood cancer is substantial globally, is that the burden does disproportionately affect the, the countries that have the least resources. And so really it puts the onus on us as a global health and a global oncology community to identify effective strategies to address this burden. So there are like every model, it's an iterative process, and we know that there are ways that we could improve the GBD framework for estimating burden of childhood cancers in the future. It's been set up as many frameworks have for estimating burden, um, primarily focusing on adult cancers. And so what that has left us with is a large proportion of uncategorized cancers um, that we note in the paper. So it's over a quarter actually of all childhood adolescent cancers, um, so zero to 19 years of age that are currently in this sort of uncategorized category. <laughs> And that's a challenging category, right? Because if you're a policymaker thinking about how to how to distribute resources, you don't know what to make of this category. So what is likely in this category, if you compare it to the other cancer types that we do separate out, are cancers like retinoblastoma or osteosarcoma and bone tumors, soft tissue sarcomas, neuroblastoma. Those are all ones that are not or were not separately estimated within the GBD framework in the past. But we are hoping to decrease the proportion of uncategorized cancers by adding in these other cancer types for estimates in the future. I see. So the reason that there were so many uncategorized was because these are primarily adult categories that the GBD has used historically. Correct. I would also say that part of it, too, is models rely on or are only as good as the data that come into them, right? 
And so um, it also depends on what data sources you're using and whether you have enough data to, to be able to estimate these other categories. Right. So as always, with everything science data collection is paramount. Exactly. And this also goes back to the what I'm sure that you've highlighted in other podcasts before, but the need for better data out there. And so, you know, it's a, a huge challenge in many countries who don't have a lot of financial resources. Um, you know, collecting cancer registry data that's population-based and quality can be really quite challenging, very labor-intensive. And so that's one reason that the GBD estimates are really important for the areas that don't have cancer registries to provide them with burden information from year to year. But um, it's also important that we, as a global health community, support cancer registration development so that we can improve the information in every local local context. And then ultimately, we'll be able to improve our models, the more data that we have as well. Yep. I feel like I just keep coming back to the argument that the global oncology community needs more cancer cancer registries and more reliable cancer registries um, <laughs> as I do more and more podcasts. So that seems to be, you know, one of the primary things uh, any budding global oncologists out there want to do is getting your hands <laughs> on cancer registries and helping to support and maintain reliable ones. Agreed. All right. Well, Lisa and Nikhil, you've been incredibly generous with your time, and we really appreciate hearing from you about this, uh, <laughs> this fantastic study. Is there anything else you wanted to say in, in closing? I would just share that one of the principles of the Global Burden of Disease Study is that, that we really do try to be very inclusive and in collaborating with experts around the world. And so if anyone is interested in, in becoming a collaborator, we would welcome that. Is it a website? Uh, yeah. So yeah. the... The link is healthdata.org slash gbd slash call dash for dash collaborators. At that website, you can find the GBD protocol. And we really do appreciate all of the insight that our collaborators give us over time on whether the estimates look appropriate for their country or where th- other data sources that we should be using or looking at our drafts and, um, and giving us edits based on um, their local knowledge. And so we would encourage anyone who identifies as having expertise in cancer, childhood cancers, or adult cancers to to sign up, and we would love to work with you. Excellent. We will have that link on the website, so you can go to ghccpod.com and find the link that Lisa mentioned if you're driving or something and didn't weren't, <laughs> weren't able to write it down. <laughs> yes, um, please don't write it down while you're driving. <laughs> so as a, another important thing to highlight, the GBD does provide all of our estimates um, with every round open access to anyone who's interested in, in using the estimates for their country or for their own analyses. Uh, and that's something called the GBD results tool. And Mark, I'll send you the link to this, but it's http colon slash ghdx.healthdata.org slash gbd dash results dash tool. And that's also in our paper too, if you wanted to find the link there. And there are visualization tools where you can see how does cancer or one specific cancer that you might be interested in compare to various other diseases. And uh, I would encourage you to explore that tool, which is called the GBD Compare Tool. And Mark, I'll also send you this link, but that's uh, https colon slash slash vizhub, B-I-Z-H-U-B.healthdata.org slash GBD dash compare. Wow. It's like a data analyst's dream come true. <laughs> I didn't even know that it existed. Excellent. Well, we will definitely put those links on the website for anyone who wants to go and play around with the data themselves. So, okay. Well, again, you've been incredibly generous with your time and this is uh, great work and I'm really excited to see where this goes in the future. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mark. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. 